Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. You are joy, you're the reason that I 
Today we're continuing on our sermon series on the seven signs, seven miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we're going to be in John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. We said in the previous weeks that John gives us these seven signs, right? These seven miracles, these seven dramatic illustrations of Jesus. And that by seeing all seven, putting them all together, we get a complete picture of who Jesus is. John says that he, he gave them to us these signs. He said there were more signs, but he gives us these seven signs in particular so that we can all believe in Jesus Christ and through Jesus have eternal life. So that's what we're looking at. We are in week three, and the title of this is Get Up, Get Up. Uh, there are things in this world that intend to keep us down, but Christ calls us all to stand up, to get up. So let's look at John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Would you do me a favor and stand in honor of God's word? I was talking to somebody right before this during Sunday school, and I'm like, do we really realize what this is? That this is the word of God, and he corrected me, and he said, the living word of God, amen, right? Yes, do we, do we realize what's contained in here? Do we realize that if we'll pattern our life after this, do we realize the blessing that comes from it? Man, be in this. I, I know that there's, there are days that I am not smart and I skip this. And I immediately feel that, right? And I, there are days that I'm just so desperate just to read, right? And just by reading it, there's something that, this peace that comes over my life. Be in this word daily right? More than once a day. Study it day and night. John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Now, if you have like an older translation, you probably have a verse 4. If you have a newer translation, you probably do not have a verse 4. Maybe there's a, a side note. That's because as, as newer translations came out, there were, more and more trans, there were more and more transcripts to go back to and look, and they found that in a lot of them, there was no verse 4. Or if there was, there was an asterisk that said it was something that was added. For those of you who, who have it, though, um, it's likely that it says that there was an angel there that stirred up the water and that if you could get into the first into this water that you would be healed. So um, this is likely the common thought of this day, and it's probably like commentary, but it's not Scripture. All right, it's not Scripture. The verse um, is, is, in some Bibles, an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, that whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease they had. And we'll talk about that in a little bit more. Verse 5, though. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been, he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the man said. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your living word. We thank you for your truth, Lord. Father, may we give it prominence, Lord. May we put it first before what anybody says from this pulpit ever. Lord, let us hang everything on your word. Let us test everything with your word, Lord. May our hearts be soft. 
May our eyes and ears be open to hear from You. That's what we want. That's what we ask for, Lord, just to hear from You. Lord, call us. Lord, challenge us. Lord, convict us. Lord, we pray that You would just speak to us. We just ask this in Your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, in this text, we're introduced to a man who the text says is 38, has been paralyzed for 38 years. 38 years he's been unable to walk or stand on his own. Remember when this was, too, back then. No wheelchairs, no real crutches like we have today, no equal accessibility, no ADA standards. It's all dirt roads and stone steps, right? It's all stigma and thinking that this person must have sinned or done something wrong to to deserve this. No compassion or maybe little compassion, little help. At this point, from the testimony in verse 7, he doesn't even have anyone right to help him. No friends, no family there. So he sits in this, call, this place called Bethesda, which in Hebrew means house of mercy or house of compassion, a place that was given over to the poor, given those, over to those who were desperate. This is a situation. This is his life. His only plan His only hope is this idea that if I can only get into the water, right, when the water gets stirred, then maybe I'll be healed. And I I don't know if this is just superstition or if this is reality that an angel did come down. I tend to believe it's superstition. I tend to believe that it's myth, urban legend, because if it was God's design for healing, then I think Jesus would have simply took him into the pool when this happened. But he doesn't. Regardless, this is the common thought of the day. And I can picture people just sitting around waiting for the water to get stirred. And then there's this mad dash to be first, right? I can see this man time and time again, so close to hope, and yet not able to get in first. Time and time again, he's, he meets disappointment day after day, year after year, decades of disappointment, almost 40 years maybe of waiting, of hoping. And for what I've read about this place, it's not even a good plan because if he was able to get into this water, they say it's more like a a reservoir or a, a cavern. This isn't a pool with a gradual slope that you can easily get into. There's probably no bottom here really close. And so there's a chance that he might have even drowned if he could get into this water. There's not much hope here. And it reminds me of just how poor our man-made sense of hope is, right? Our man-made sources of hope are how lacking they are. The things that we turn to for hope compared to the one true hope, the hope that God gives us. But one day, a man named Jesus approaches. It's not what this man is hoping for. It's not what he's been waiting for. He wants to get into the water. But a man named Jesus shows up. He shows up uninvited. He shows up unexpected, right? And he asks a rude question, a question that this man could have been offended by. And we talked a little bit about this last week, right? We said that Jesus, or even the gospel, all gives us a chance to be offended, right? Because the gospel tells us you're not a good person. That's a popular thought of our day, right? That's what people hang their their hope on. I don't need to worry about it. I'm a good person. I'll make it to heaven. But the gospel comes in and says, you're not. There is only one good person. The gospel tells us, hey, you're a sinner, but there's good news. There's one who's died for you. There's one who can save you if you'll only accept him. And so while we hear the gospel message, we are offended. A lot of times, so many people end up missing it because of that offense. But there's some people who embrace it. There's some people that are humbled by it and accept it. 
and it changes their life. And then they find everlasting life. Jesus asked this man, do you want to be healed? After nearly 40 years of having hope crushed day in and day out, after 40 years of disappointment, this must have jaded this man, right? This Jesus guy comes up and has the nerve to ask him, do you want to be healed? I wonder how many of us would give a smart answer to this man that we didn't know, right? I wonder how many of us would have been offended by that question. His answer, verse 7, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Somebody else always gets there ahead of me. In other words, I want to, but I, I can't. All the other people are faster than me. I'm being held back, right? I'm being kept down. It's not fair. I can't get well because of this. Isn't this what we all do, right? When God asks us to do something, when God lays something on our heart, I want to, Lord, but I can't because I'm not a good speaker, right? I don't have the words to say. Isn't this what we see in America, right? It's not fair. I can't get a fair shake. There's a glass ceiling. There's something preventing me. There's something that's keeping me down. But Jesus comes with a command, right? Stand up. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And oh, what a day this is for this man, right? What a life-changing day this is for him after an encounter with God. And I know that most of the people in here, you've experienced this day. Amen? God calls us all to get up. And I see several important points that I want to I want to share with you in reading of this text. First, we have to realize that there are false assumptions. We all have false assumptions, and we're full of them. This is the man's situation, and I believe the false assumptions were were holding him back. They, They were what he was believing, right? What he was holding on to. He believed that in order to be healed, he had to be first. He was competing with those around him, right? He was also comparing himself with those around him. I don't have anyone to help me. I'm slower than everyone. I can't get in the water. Like I said, we do this. If I just had this other significant person in my life, my life would be complete. If I just had a better job and made more money, right? My life would be better. I could be happy. If I could only get to this place in in my life, then everything would be good. And that's what a lot of us believe. But in the end, it's just a poor source of man-made hope. And it holds us back compared to what Christ offers us all. Look at it this way, too. This man is explaining to the creator of the universe. Do you get that? This man is explaining to the creator of the universe, the creator of mankind, why he couldn't be better, why he couldn't be healed. He didn't know who he was talking to. We do, though. We know who speaks to us. Have you ever done that? I have. Lord, I know your word says this, but I'm not able to. I'm a special case, right? Remember Moses, man, I I can't speak. Lord, I'm a mumbler. You see what else he's doing? He's putting his miracle into the people around him's control. These people are just faster than me. They can get to the water first before me. They're preventing me from being healed. But Jesus didn't ask him, are you faster than all these people? Right? Jesus didn't ask him again, you get there first. Can you do it? No, he just says, do you want to be healed? And the man said, I can't. Let that not be us when the creator of the universe speaks to us. My friends, I believe there are things in our lives that Jesus wants to set us free from, right? But we believe false assumptions. Be healed, be free, have joy. I can't, Jesus, because I'm not fast enough. I don't have enough money. Things have happened to me in my past. I don't look good enough. 
I have this disability. I'm not good at speaking in front of people. I, I, I can't. Do you see the focus? The focus is on us when the focus should be on the creator of the universe. The focus is on other people around us. The focus is on something else, the water, right? We're looking to that for our cure. When Jesus is standing there, right there in front of us, asking us, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? What false assumptions are holding you back? Pray and ask that the Holy Spirit reveals those to you. You don't need to win the lottery to be happy. How many Christians are praying for that? Second question, we have to be willing to ask the hard questions. Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Well, well, of course I do, right? Why would anybody want to be sick? We think that's an obvious question. But sometimes after years and after decades of being in a certain situation, we get used to it. We get accustomed to it. We get comfortable in it. It becomes our identity. And deep down, sometimes we don't even want to get out of it. Why did Jesus ask this particular person that question? I'm not sure. Why did he ask him if he wanted to be well? It's likely that this man was probably had been, this, had been sick the longest. 38 years is a long time. Maybe, though, this guy gave up hope. Maybe he had completely given up and was just okay with living with the excuses. Maybe he was at the place, why even try? Right? I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. I got nobody to help me. I can't ever get into the water first. This could be one of those situations where your, your spirit is just broken, right? After years, after decades. It just affects your everyday life. Maybe this is you, right? Your, your body's fine, but your spirit's broken. It's crushed. You're done trying. Maybe you had something that you were passionate about. Maybe it was something in the church, right? And you wanted to do, but you've kind of lost that zeal. Maybe you feel more and more like pulling back. You've tried time and time again, right? You've tried to get other people to help you out, to come on board. You have this great idea from God, but it just seems like there's wall after wall after wall, obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and you're, you're tired of trying, right? And so you just want to give up and stay on the ground. I don't think there's a week that goes by that I don't want to quit. And if I'm dealing with that, I know you're dealing with that. Don't quit, right? Grab a, grab a brother, a sister, right? Share the burden and ask for help. Don't quit. You in leadership, we need you. We need your spiritual gifts. We're desperate for them, right? And the enemy's going to come against you. The enemy's going to attack you. Maybe to you, Jesus is saying, do you want it? But maybe you're at a place where you're just comfortable on the ground, too. Do you want it? Do you want to get up? Are you willing to fight for your marriage, right? I know it feels dead now. You've tried and tried and tried. It feels just dead. You feel like you're just living with somebody. But do you want to be healed? It's a hard question, right? It's a hard question. Augustine, in his early days, walking with God, knowing God, he's at a stage where he reportedly prayed this, God, make me pure, but not yet. God, I want to change this area of my sex life, but not yet, right? How many of us have had an area of our life where we want God to do something, we want God to heal it, but not yet? We're having too much fun. I think... For a lot of us, there are those areas in our life we, we full, know full well that we're being held back by them. And Jesus comes to us and says, do you want to be healed? And our answer, yeah, but not yet. Right? Because I know what it's going to mean for my life. I know what I'm going to have to give up, and I'm not ready to give that up yet. I'm good sitting down here right now 
in the dirt. Lord, I want to serve you, right? Who doesn't want to serve God? But right now, honestly, I'm having fun. And I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give this thing up that I'm holding on to. I know what the cost is, and I'm not ready to pay that. The cost for this man would be that he'd have to give up his, his old life of being a victim behind. Here he could remain jaded, right? He could remain crusty, salty. I think we all know people who want to stay in that place, right? Just so they could remain bitter. They enjoy being bitter. The anger towards someone, you know, in life because of some unfair situation. They want to hang on to that. Parents were unfair to me. God was unfair to me. He did not help me. But there comes a moment where we realize that Christ did help us. He died for us. He forgave us. And he calls us to forgive those who have harmed us. But we don't want to. We feel pretty darn good in that area of bitterness and we want to hold on to it. Do you want to be healed? Comes with the question, do you want to be a victim or the victor? We all have to choose to move past to forgive. And I think that's a part of this man's, part of Jesus' question to this man. If I taste the goodness, if I taste the mercy, if I taste the forgiveness, I'm going to have to leave that old life behind. I'm going to have to leave that old identity, those old hurts. I'm going to have to lay them down. I'm going to have to forgive those people who hurt me. And I don't know if I'm ready to do that. I'm going to have to embrace being a new creation. I'm going to have to embrace being a a son or daughter of God. And I don't know if I can because I've, I've been dealing with this for 38 years. Can I tell you, though, when you do get up, when you do embrace this new life, it's an amazing life, right? And you get the ability, you get the opportunity, you get the responsibility to share it with other people. What a gift. What an awesome thing to be a part of. Forgive those people who have hurt you. Don't hold on to it. I know you want to hold on to it. I know it's easy to hold on to. You're just hurting yourself, though. Lay those things down. Lay the bitterness down. Lay that victim, poor me mentality down and get up. Do you want to be healed? Because it's going to take you leaving everything behind. Right? Everything that's trying to hold you back. All the false assumptions. It's going to take you asking the hard questions. Do you really want to be healed? Or are you happy just sitting in the dirt? Third question, third thing, it means listening to the right voices. Listening to the right voices. I find it interesting that almost immediately, right, after being healed, this man now has to deal with voices telling him he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. Right? I I worry about when somebody comes to Christ because I know immediately the enemy is going to come after him. I know every time somebody makes a decision to follow Christ, somebody makes a decision to do something for Christ, the enemy is going to come after them. And that's why it's so important to be praying for each other and lifting each other up regularly. The moment he obeys Jesus, and by the way, Jesus instructed him to pick up the mat, right? The, the thing that the other people had the problem with. Jesus didn't say just rise and, and walk. He says, take up your bed, and it was the Sabbath. And according, not to Scripture, right, but according to the regulations that all the man-made regulations that had been put in place, this would have been a religious violation. God gave mankind the Sabbath, this idea, this principle. He set it into motion when he created the world. You know this. Take the seventh day, right? Take it off. Work six days and enjoy a day of rest and worship and enjoy relationships, right? It's supposed to be this amazing day of cinnamon rolls, sweatpants, right? Time with your family, playing video games, and time with your creator, right? That's the Sabbath, beautiful gift. 
It's a wonderful gift, especially after six days of work. Work's a good thing. We're meant to work, right? We're all meant to work and enjoy the beauty of work. How do I know it's a good thing? Because it was in the garden before sin was there, right? Man was working before sin came into it. Mankind was meant to work. We're meant to have that texting day. We're meant to lay our head down on a pillow and say, daggone, that was, a, that was a long day. This pillow feels pretty good, right? I'm tired. Some of you probably experienced that when you're shoveling out all that snow that we got here recently. Sabbath, though, was God's intention to be this amazing gift, but the religious leaders turned it into something else. And I believe that that's why Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath and tells him to pick up his mat, right? He wanted to do this to purposely be able to confront the religious leaders of the day. He wanted to confront their regulations. He wanted to confront the spirit behind those things. It was a false spirit. They had, con- they had come up with 39 tasks or kinds of labor that were not allowed, that were forbidden on the Sabbath, but they were missing the spiritual intention of it. They said, whoever on the Sabbath brings anything in or takes anything out from a public place to a private one, that's a sin. And if you have done this inadvertently, they shall offer a sacrifice for their sins, but if willingly, they shall be cut off and shall be stoned. Right? Is that the Sabbath? Is that what God intended? No. Man, this was man-made regulations that were added to it. God wanted to give people a day off, a day to be restored. He doesn't want you working every day. He wants you to spend a day with your family. He wants you to spend a day with your Lord. Scripture tells us the Sabbath was made for man. If you're working seven days a week because you're not satisfied with what you can get accomplished in six days right, you're dishonoring God. Pure and simple. Be careful with that. On the other hand, if you're helping somebody, right, if you're doing help to help somebody, it's not about financial gain. It's probably something that will bring honor to him. Whose voices are you listening to? We have to listen to the word of God above all other voices. Don't let false church traditions get in the way of that. Challenge them with the word of God. Challenge what a preacher tells you from the pulpit with the word of God, right? Challenge what the TV evangelists tell you with the word of God. Challenge what you believe with the word of God. Most people look to the word of God to just prove what they believe instead of looking to it to find out what the truth is. I'm sure you can find a pastor out there that will agree. I'm sure you can find an article, a paper that will agree with what you want to believe. But does the word of God agree? It has to be the word of God. It has to be our standard. It has to be our truth. We have to pattern our life around it. Whose voices are you listening to? Take a day off. It doesn't have to be a particular day. I usually start mine on Sunday after church. That's why if you text me or call me, sometimes I don't respond. Right? It's a day off. I work Monday through Friday at my normal job. Friday night is, is uh, Bible prep, is sermon prep. Saturday is sermon prep. Sunday's preaching. And then afterwards is rest. If it's an emergency, call me or call, call Advi. But that's probably why I don't respond to, to someone you, and I should have told you that in advance. If you read the next few chapters in here, you'll see that this starts off a big disagreement between Jesus and the religious leaders, so much so that they wanted to kill him over this. They accuse him of working on the Sabbath, but we know that the Sabbath was created for man. And Scripture goes on to tell us that the Son of Man Jesus, God, right, is Lord of even the Sabbath. He's not bound to the Sabbath. When he created the world, he rested to give us an example. But ever since that day, he's been working. He does not take a day off. He's God. He never rests. That's encouraging to know that I have a God that never takes a day off. That he's always working. And by Jesus doing these things, he's really giving these religious leaders a sign that they can think about, right? That he is Lord of the Sabbath. 
he's God. If you read through the Gospels, you see seven times that Jesus breaks the Sabbath. Seven signs as to who he really is. The Son of Man. The creator of the universe. They knew this. They taught this, right? And yet they missed it. Verse 16 says, So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For not only for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, therefore making himself equal with God. There's some religions that say that Jesus never claimed to be God. He did. Right? He did. He is God. The Pharisees took this awesome gift and turned it into a tax code. And sometimes we do that too, right? Let's be careful with the regulations that we add. Let's be careful of the voices that we listen to. Make the word of God what you judge everything by. Otherwise, you might miss it. How in the world, how in the world did these religious leaders miss it? How did they miss the miracle? How did they miss the big picture? How did they miss the man that was healed? There was a miracle that took place. God was glorified, right? They should have been celebrating this. They should have been happy for this man. They missed it. That's just like you, though, in your life. There should be people that are happy for you, celebrating with you. But some miss it. Some miss what God's doing in your life. And there will always be these voices that come against you when you're growing, right? When you're getting up. Because misery loves company. Pure and simple. It does. You start to grow. You you will always have people that come against you. Even in everyday life, non-spiritual matters, right? You start to grow. People will say, oh, you've changed. Isn't that the point? To change, to grow in a good way, right? Respond, hopefully, hopefully I am. Thank you for noticing, right? That's what I was going for. Here's the truth, though. Somebody always wants someone in their life that they can look down on, that they can point to to feel better about themselves. Look where this person is at. I'm, I'm better than them. And as soon as you start to grow in the Lord, what happens? They realize more and more how lacking they are, how lacking their growth is, how miserable they are. So what's their only choice? Well, they have two choices. They can grow themselves. Otherwise, they can try to put you down, hold you down beneath them, right? Point to you. They'll celebrate the times you fall, right? And never be happy the times that you're growing in the Lord. Don't let them. Don't listen to those voices. This man has to choose whose voice to listen to. Fourth thing, you have to do scary things. What does it mean to do scary things? Picture this man. He's laid on the ground for the last 38 years. 38 years. And Jesus doesn't tell him to move towards the water. That's what he's thinking, right? He's probably thinking the only way that Jesus, this man, could help him was to help him get into the water. But Jesus tells him something else. Something else he wasn't expecting, right? Get up. Stand up. Sometimes that's scary. But here's what we have to learn, right? Sometimes it's scary because we think of about our own strength. Are we going to be able to do what Jesus is calling us to do? This ministry that Jesus is calling us to start or be a part of, are we going to be able to handle it? Here's what we need to learn, though. When God calls you to something, right? He'll enable that. He'll take care of that. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the power. It's not your abilities, right? He'll make the way. First Thessalonians 5.24 says, The one who calls you is faithful and will do it. Amen? Here's what I know. If he calls you to preach, he'll help you overcome your fear of public speaking. Right? Not that you're immediately going to be, like before you have to preach, feeling amazing and awesome, right? You're probably going to be about ready to throw up, totally scared out of your mind. But then as soon as you step up in the pulpit, the power of God will be on you. And he'll enable you. 
you got to take the first step. You got to take the first step in saying, yes, I'll do what you're calling me to do. Even though it scares me, I will trust you. Do you know how many people, do you know how many people tell me that they do not feel qualified, that they do not feel led to do this, that they are scared to do this? Man, perfect. That's amazing. That's great because those are the people who are going to totally 100% rely on God and not themselves. Those are the people we want. People who say, I am not the right person for this. In Christ you are. With Christ's power you are. With a humbleness on your part, a dependence on God you are. Scary things starts with saying yes. That's the, the hard part. Because you want him to take away the fear. You want him to make the way. But he doesn't. But that's a good thing. Because that will make you dependent on him. He'll take you through this. For this man, today's the first day. Or a day for first steps. Right? Today's the day to pick up your mat and start walking. There's a lot of steps that will follow after this first day. But sometimes the first day is the hardest. They get easier after that. Four things. Four things when God calls you to stand up, when God calls you to get up. Number one, drop the false assumptions. Number two, ask the hard questions, right? Number three, listen to the right voices. Number four, do scary things. He's faithful to what he calls you to do. I want to end with this. Verse 14, it's an awesome picture. It's an awesome picture, and it's a warning. I, I love the whole big picture of this encounter with Jesus, and that's why we're, we're taking a look at these seven miracles because it shows us who he is and what he's about, right? But I love this one particular verse. It says this, later Jesus found him at the temple, and he said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. This spoke to me first because of those three words at the beginning. Jesus found him. In other words, Jesus was looking for him. This, did this guy find Jesus? Jesus found him. He found him in the dirt, right? Where he found you, where he found me. We don't find Jesus. He finds us. He's looking for us. He's coming after us, right? He's revealing himself to us. We just recognize it. But he finds us. And he comes up to us and he says to us all, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed from that bondage that's holding you back? To those that aren't offended by that, to those who say, yes, Lord, you find new life, right? We find the ultimate healing for our souls. We find what, out what our souls are truly longing for. We look to the water. We look to other people. We look to other things, and they never satisfied us. But then we found Christ, and he totally changed our life. He flipped it upside down, right? And we have the amazing ability to share that with other people. That's awesome, but here's the warning. He also says, stop sinning. You're in the dirt. You are called up out of the dirt. Don't you dare return to the dirt. Right? Man, I hope, this, I hope this scares somebody in here today. I hope it challenges you if you're playing in the dirt still. The dirt that he called you out of. It did me. Man, he made me aware of something that I've been picking back up. That needs to be laid down and let down. Right? And I hope that conviction, if, if you need to hear that, comes to you loud and clear today. Stop sinning. Repent. Turn from that, right? Don't go back to your old life. What's the phrase? It's like a dog returning to vomit. There's nothing good in it. There's nothing for you. It may look good. It may seem good. But there is nothing good in it. Jesus called you to stand. So stand, right? Jesus called you to a new life. Embrace that new life. Don't go back.
Amen? If you need to hear this, stop sinning. Repent. Would you stand with me? I don't know where you're at. Maybe God's pointing out to you an area of your life where you need to let go, put down again that you'd picked up. Maybe he called you from that and you picked it back up, lay it down, quit sinning. Maybe he's called you to a ministry, right? He's called you to something and you're like, I'm the last person that should be doing this. Would you just say, tell God that? Tell him with your strength, though, Lord, I'll say yes. I'll move forward in that. Would you quit listening to the other voices in your life? Would you make the word of God the priority that you listen to? Here's the truth. Don't listen to man's truth. Listen to this above all else, right? And if you don't know him, he's here right now saying, stand up. The gospel's calling you. The gospel's making you aware that you're a sinner, right? And there's no hope for you outside of what Christ did on the cross. There's no hope for you. You're not a good person. I'm not a good person. The closer I go to God, the more I realize that. The only thing good in me is Christ. The Bible tells us we're all sinners. But he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. So the choice is yours. He's saying, get up. Will you give him your life? Will you entrust your life to him? Will you trust him to save you? Will you believe that he died on a cross for your sins? Right? Will you embrace that? Will you accept him as your Lord and Savior? And will you quit down, getting down in the mud, the dirt anymore? Leave that old, old life behind. Embrace your new life as a son or daughter of Christ. And share it. Share it. Share the amazing news that you have with somebody else. Right? Come alongside what he's doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for these seven signs, these seven pictures, these seven miracles that you did that show us who you truly are, that show us that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and that there is no one or anything else that we should put our faith in but you. Father, help us to do that. Lord, I pray if there's something going on in our life that we've been picking it up, we've been getting back in that dirt, Father, I pray that we would lay it down right now. We would beg your forgiveness, Lord, and that you would give us the power to stay away from it. Father, if you're calling somebody in here to something, maybe to be a pastor, maybe to be a missionary, maybe to be a teacher, maybe to be any role that you're calling them to, Father, would you not let them use the excuse, I can't? Would you remind them that through you, they can? Father, help us to step up. Help us to be your church, Lord not just here for this hour and a half. Father, help us to go out of here and be your ambassadors, to share the good news with the people that we come into contact with. Lord, invite us to follow you. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.